Hey guys, thanks for watching another episode of The Naturalist Capitalist. I'm your host, Reed Coverdale, as always. Uh, as you guys know, I'm trying to push you to some of the other platforms I'm on. If you're watching this live on YouTube, you can also um, watch me on Odyssey within a couple days, and then you can also catch the audio version on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you want to support me for now, I have a Patreon that you can donate to. Um, and those are all found in the links in the description. And then you can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Anyway, tonight I've got a returning guest. Uh, I would call him a geopolitical analyst, a foreign policy expert, and a 9-11 researcher, Adam Fitzgerald. How are you doing tonight, man? Yeah, good evening, Reed. Once again. Yeah, it's good to have you back, man. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me on. Sure. So let me start out with this. Uh, were you expecting Putin to actually go into Ukraine this time? Or were you thinking it was uh, more hype from the foreign policy establishment? No, I, I was like you and many others uh, from what I've experienced that uh, he went further west and even tries, he's trying to take the capital, Kiev. I actually thought that the disputed territories of Lushank and Donetsk would be um, as far as he goes, but um, actually he's going much further than anticipated or even imagined for that matter. Um, I am more uh, surprised, but I shouldn't be at this point, regarding the complete uh, psychological operations that are portrayed by the media in having this surreal response uh, of these uh, establishment left that is beckoning for a not just a uh, U.S. intervention, but for a global intervention against the uh, Russian Federation. And to me, this is, I think, right up there with Russia going, uh, trying to overtake the capital. Yeah, um, it's interesting. It, it, I've seen a lot of memes jokingly saying that the COVID microchip has been taken out and the Ukraine microchip has been inserted to the public's outrage. You know, that's kind of the new thing. Uh, people who didn't even know what Ukraine was, you know, they certainly don't know where it is. They don't know any of the history revolving around it. Um, you know, a lot of people that I know who are not politically educated at all and don't know their history very well, but people that I've worked with, uh, and people that I've just been acquaintances with throughout my life, they're all gung-ho. They're ready to <laughs> join up and go save Ukraine. And the stories that have been shared, uh, you know, like war stories that most of them, have, the, we have already found out that they're completely fake. There was a, there's actually a very obviously Photoshopped image of someone in the cockpit of a fighter that um, I forget who shared it, but somebody was sharing it all around saying that that was the pilot who was the ghost of Kiev. Um, that whole story sounds like it's fake at this point. The Snake Island story turned out to be fake. Everyone who was on Snake Island is still alive. Uh, they're sharing photos of Zelensky from last year when he was patrolling the border. Um, and they're saying that there are pictures of him now gearing up with his men to fight off the Russian army. Um, but I don't know. Do you think there's anything worse about it this time? Worse about the propaganda? Or do you think it's just the same old, same old? Or do you think it's not grabbing a hold as bad as it has in the past? Well, I, I think the, the, uh, the worrying thing about this mass campaign of, uh, I don't want to say it, but it's true. It's like a brainwashing technique used by, uh, say the psychological operations unit of the department of defense, which is the eighth psychological unit. And I spoke about this with Patrick McFarland of Liberty Weekly, who you're familiar with, in regards to a, a two-hour discussion regarding psychological operations. I think it's worse now. And it's only because I would say, I would dare to say that compared to right now than say 20 years ago, or even 10, is that we have a less uh, educated public about geopolitics, for example. Um, it's almost like this fervent belief. I, I, I'm appalled at it because just 10 years ago, we were talking about a progressive movement within the left that was basically going to 
uh, be the precedence of the Obama administration. And the Obama administration just happened to be an extension of the Bush neocon policies. In fact, in some respects, uh, Obama was more hawkish in regards to the Middle East. And we saw that with Syria and Libya. Uh, in this instance, especially with the Ukraine, I would suffice to say that it's not so much as a hawkish mentality, more of a militant mentality coming from the ignorant populists who have absolutely no authority to speak on the subject itself. They're just repeating what they're hearing on, say, CBS or NBC. Now, this is not a pick on the left. I mean, we have these extremists on the right, too, in Fox and A&N and Newsmax. But right now, we are seeing a sort of worrying mentality about these people who have a general misunderstanding of the conflict in itself. Now, look, I'm, I'm just like everybody else. Before the conflict even happened or the invasion even happened, I knew nothing about Ukraine and the history thereof. And for two weeks, I would say, no, I'm sorry, about seven days, uh, me and my co-host Richard Cox, we have been invigilated with uh, the darker aspects of what's behind the story behind what is happening with Ukraine. In order to do that, we had to really do a deep dive. And I did a couple of videos uh, earlier in the week, and I just did a podcast with my co-host Richard Cox at a darkened hour. And it's not out yet, but uh, we spoke about the CIA and their activities uh, that go back to, uh, say, 13 years ago. I just did a video about uh, uh, two nights ago, a live video discussion where the CIA's activities in Ukraine go back even to the Cold War. So there, it's not like this is an automatic surprise for many people that they're basically have an interest in the region. When you look at it from an unbiased, unprejudicial worldview, then you get to see the gray area because not everything is black and white. Right. Yeah, I'm kind of like you. I mean, I... I knew about the neo-Nazis that we used to overthrow the government in 2014. I'd heard Ryan talk about that in the past, but I think that was all I really knew. And I, like you, I've <laughs> done a deep dive, but I haven't look, look, looked too much into the CIA's involvement. What were some of the more shocking things you discovered about that when you did your deep dive? Um, actually, there was a, a report um, from uh, two individuals by the name of... Uh, Richard Brightman and Norman J.W. Goda, who wrote a report called, well, it's a book, but it's based on a report called Hitler's Shadow, Nazi War Criminals, U.S. Intelligence in the Cold War. But they were talking about an individual by the name of um, Mikola Lebed. Uh, Mikola Lebed was actually a Ukrainian political activist and an ultra-nationalist. Um, he was also a, a noted guerrilla fighter uh, who basically assassinated or, or assisted in the assassination of Polish interior minister Boroslav Pierki in 1934, um, in which a number of uh, Jewish uh, residents in the region were being killed. Um, he was given a, a life sentence. And in 1939, the Nazi Germany invaded Poland and released the prisons. And when Lebed was released, he agreed to work with the Nazi, um, uh, Nazi Germany in the state security services under Heinrich Himmler. And during this time, um, he created a group in 1940 called the Organization of Ukrainian Nationalists, which is basically um, a group of very right-wing uh, ultra-nationalists uh, who believe in a uh, almost a, a, a country that is based on the precepts of Nazi Germany. Now, um, he was also an anti-communist, a staunch anti-communist. And the CIA or the OSS basically saw uh, some value to this. So in a couple of years, he actually was, after the war had ended, uh, excuse me, um, the CIA basically uh, gave him uh, a free pass to come inside the United States, even though he had a nefarious history behind him. And so with the report, basically, it came out that this this person, Miko Lebed, uh, was behind a operation which was supported by the Central Intelligence Agency, which was called Project Aerodynamic, which was uh, to provide the exploitation and expansion of the anti-Soviet Ukrainian resistance movement for uh, 
the Cold War, during the Cold War. Um, and so groups like the Ukrainian Supreme Council of Liberation, the um, Organization of Ukrainian Nationalists, as I said before, uh, the Ukrainian Insurgent Army, all these are right-wing groups in the Ukraine who are basically uh, collecting data, collecting intelligence, committing um, all types of uh, crimes against anybody who's considered a communist backer of the Soviet Union at the time. Um, it was a joint foreign intelligence project between Ukraine and the United States, basically the CIA. And it was approved by the um, United States on November 3rd, 1952, and lasted um, until the following year. But the program actually uh, continued. Uh, Lebed had numerous organizations in the Ukraine. Um, and when he was invited to come inside the United States, the CIA basically gave him or helped uh, fund a program, an op, um, a company that um, was called Prologue. Um, it was a research center based in New York, of all places, my home state. And he was the deputy chairman uh, since 1974, and he was the member of the board of directors institution. Basically, he was collecting data on Soviets inside the United States as well, as well as in Ukraine. Uh, he passed away in 1998. However, all of this information was basically suppressed and hidden by the Central Intelligence Agency in the National Archives until these two gentlemen, um, Richard Brightman and Norman Goda, basically uh, conducted a freedom of information request about uh, Mikola Lebed, and they got back the largest cache of files ever released, and it was over a million point three files regarding the Central Intelligence Agency and their links to Nazi collaborators in the Ukraine that go back uh, to the uh, period of World War II and the Cold War. And why is that relevant, You're, you might be saying? Well, it's relevant because in after the protests of that we saw in the Ukraine over the last 15 years, uh, 2014, 2013, 2004 with the rigged elections, 2010 with the rigged elections. One thing that was happening was that the Central Intelligence Agency, as soon as the most violent protest took place after the Euro Maiden protests in 2013, which was basically um, protests that were, uh, it was a wave of, actually it was just a wave of demonstrations that involved peaceful, relatively peaceful protests um, and basically unrests. Uh, that happened on November 21st of 2013 against the uh, Ukrainian government's decision to suspend the signing of the European Union-Ukraine Association Agreement. And they decided, and this was under um, President Viktor Yanukovych, and they wanted to side with the Eurasian Economic Union of Russia. And the public protested, relatively peaceful. Three months later, another protest happened. It was called the Revolution of Dignity. This took place on February 19th, uh, 2014, lasted uh, five days. But these protests were much more violent and involved foreign entities. And I'm going to get to this in a minute. These, these entities basically killed 80 policemen, uh, raided the Capitol, and basically committed a coup against the Ukrainian president, Viktor Yanukovych, who, by the way, in 2004, was not elected. He lost that election under nefarious purposes. Some people say that election was rigged. In 2010, he won, and it was considered the only true election where he was voted in unanimously. And then when this happened, the protests happened, he basically was forcibly ousted. Even though he was willing to work with the opposition in creating a coalition government that would be favorable to creating an independent state for Ukraine, but not forcing out uh, Russia in, in, uh, as opposing Russia in any sense. But that wasn't enough. The United States and NATO took that as a threat. They would still have influence. So what happened? So the CIA basically, after this revolution, this violent one called the Revolution of Dignity, what happened was in two months' time, the United States basically were conducting an operation in the southwest United States. And this was reported by the Daily Beast that the CIA was training the Azov Battalion and these ultra-right-wing nationalists 
inside the United States in guerrilla warfare, bomb making, and uh, weapons training, and whatnot. And the program got so big that they went to the Ukraine and started training them in 2015, 2014, 2015. And that's when we saw this violent uprising of these right-wing neo-Nazi groups like the Azov Battalion, who basically were part of a small regiment, but they are part of the Ukrainian National Guard. So they make up approximately between 3,000 and 4,000 people. However, this is important because, as you could see, the CIA didn't just suddenly arise and create this neo-Nazi battalion and group. This was always, uh, this, this has been fermenting for decades. And the right, CIA right. has always had a vested interest in the Ukraine because of greater geopolitical agendas, most notably the United States and NATO. Yeah. Yeah, I knew about the Azov Battalion and the 2014 coup, but I didn't realize it went back that far. That's pretty incredible. Um, so how pervasive is this ideology in Ukraine, aside from the Azov Battalion serving in the National Guard? How many people in power in the government or how many influential members are around, do you know? There, Well, it's not really, I'd say approximately 3,000 has been reported. And that's coming from the Daily Beast, who actually interviewed. Um, if anybody wants to see the article, I'll give you the, the, the headline. Is America's training neo-Nazis in Ukraine? as dated December 8, 2018, in which they interviewed uh, an individual whose uh, his name is Ivan Karkov, who was part of the Azov Battalion. He talks about how he was training with U.S. Uh, volunteers from the U.S. CIA ground division and that he was getting... Uh, military training in arms from the CIA's ground division. Uh, and he says anywhere between uh, 3,000 to 4,000 people are involved with the Ukrainian national unit. Now, that's not an overwhelming number. But, however, just today, um, Liz Truss, who's the foreign uh, uh, secretary of the United Kingdom, uh, basically announced and even advocated for foreign entities to come and entertained the battle in Ukraine. And just as she said this, uh, there were tweets in from the uh, Syrian uh, profiles that was reported by the great uh, independent researcher Richard Medhurst. Um, he basically reported that ISIS, the Islamic State in Levant, in Syria, basically are now making the rounds and trying to get permission to go to the Ukraine and fight against the Russians. Why? Because it was the Russians who basically decimated ISIL territory in Raqqa, in Deir Ezzur, and in Damascus, in Syria, between the years 2017 to 2019, and basically destroyed uh, most of the influence of the Islamic State in Levant. And now these people, who basically now see a new conflict, are willing to entertain. And of course, the establishment left is either not reporting on this, or... They're basically not even acknowledging the burgeoning problem that once happened in Afghanistan in 1980, where you had these foreign Arabs that would enter the Afghan war to fight against who? The Soviets. So it's almost like this is a repeat of Afghanistan in 1980. Yeah. So you've got the liberals in America cheering on the side with Nazis and Islamic extremists that want to join in the fight, too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's just kind of ironic. Well, there's um, a history. I mean, there's a history that you have uh, previously acknowledged uh, in your tweets on Twitter. And look, anybody here, and this is an educated audience, uh, the CIA has a long history of supporting ultra right wing, either their nationalists or their uh, ultra orthodox, ghoulish sects to destroy any type of leftist ideology, whether it be in Central America, in El Salvador, Nicaragua, with the Sandinistas. Um, the uh, the Afghan Mujahideen or the Arab fighters, basically, that's unlike the Afghan Mujahideen, but the Arab fighters from Tunisia, from Algeria, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, all these, all the, all the, they're all coming from this Wahhabi mindset. And billions of dollars are being poured in. And who knows how much money now the United States is going to pour into Ukraine. Now, tonight, I noticed that uh, the president of the United States, Joe Biden, basically gave a speech on the House floor and basically said... We're not going to entertain a military conflict with Russia, which, by the way, would be the end of the world if they did right. that. Smart. The only smart thing he said. 
However, <laughs> what he's not saying is basically that we're going to use the CIA to basically funnel in weapons and uh, money to these right-wing nationalist groups. And maybe, just maybe, that might be a trickle-down effect, whether they realize it or not, to the ghoulish ISIC or uh, Salafist groups that are coming from maybe Syria uh, to entertain the battle because they could get some revenge that they didn't get in Syria in Ukraine against the Russians. So what I think will happen, now this is, take this with a grain of salt, is only my uh, speculation, is that over time, they're going to create a fervent ultra-nationalist group that's going to be the new terrorists in Europe and maybe spread about to Eastern Europe. I'm not going to make that uh, declaration with any confidence, but you saw what happened in Afghanistan. It only took uh, a couple of years for these people to go back to their respective countries, create groups, and then conduct terrorism from within. Now, of course, the, uh, the, uh, the goals and agendas are different, but you could see this wave of new organizations, new right-wing groups basically being funded by the CIA, by foreign governments in a battle that the United States should not even entertain. And it was all basically, uh, there's no, by the way, there's no clean hands here. But Putin is a criminal. He's a murderer. Sure. I don't know how many people he's killed in Russia and regarding journalists and dissidents, even political opponents. It's probably in the hundreds, maybe even thousands. Now, in this conflict, there is no clean hands. I mentioned that in my live video discussion two days ago, where I said, in the United States, they want to polarize this country and saying, you're for Putin. That means you're for Trump. You're the right wing. If you're for Ukraine, you're for Biden, and you're for the left wing. That is for the simple-minded people who are propagandized by the media. Step outside that box, and you get to see the real world. And it's not black and white. It's basically gray. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, the United States government can't really criticize what mm. Putin is doing because of what they've done. But you and I are not the United States government. You and I are anti-war, pro-civil liberties. We're against... Um, you know, the bombs that have been going off in uh, Kharkiv and, you know, the people he's been jailing in Russia, obviously that's horrible. So what do you think Putin's goal is here? Um, it's probably not as cut and dry as just denazifying and demilitarizing Ukraine. What do you think he wants? Do you think he wants to hold all of Ukraine? Do you think he wants to just oust the current government and then fall back to the Donbass region? What do you think he's really after here? Well, according to his uh, foreign minister, basically what they wanted to do was basically uh, eliminate all the uh, ultra-nationalist influence out of the country and then replace the government, which they consider illegal and illegitimate, with a government that is voted in by the people. Now, this is not, again, uh, this is not reported by the press here in the United States. But at the other, on the other hand, is that really Putin's ideas and his goals? Well, we'll never know because... Uh, if he has any type of nefarious uh, goals, which means expanding uh, further out from the Ukraine. Well, I would suggest this, that it would be suicide. Uh, he knows that the United States and the coalition partners won't enter a suicide pact, which is basically what this is. So I don't think there's going to be a war. I don't think there's going to be a war with Russia because there's no winners. Right. The United States only wants to beat countries that is assured a victory on the United States side, which is the reason why they picked on the countries in the Middle East that don't have any nuclear defense. Syria, Libya, uh, Pakistan, Yemen, uh, Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, Sudan. But against Russia, which is the reason why Putin basically declared we put on the nuclear uh, efficient team on high alert, meaning we're not Syria, we're not Libya, we're Russia, and we mm -hmm. have more nukes than you. And if you want to entertain a war, well, I'm not going to back down. The United States knows this. Now, they may enter proxy wars that may last for years. You know, probably is going to be the case. But just yesterday, I did a, I did a, a video earlier today, and I found something quite interesting. The former Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu basically said this uh, in a uh, Knesset meeting, that the United States and the world should just ignore Russia and concentrate on the real problem, Iran. 
because <laughs> while this is going on, Iran is basically going to take advantage and build a nuclear bomb and destroy not the world and not anybody else but Israel. Mm-hmm. If there's any type of Israeli influence uh, inside the United States, they're going to try their damned hardest to lobby and pressure Pentagon and the United States into revisiting that interest in engaging in a war there. At the same time, you have the far right that are basically just cooling their heels, saying we should ignore Russia, but we should start interest in the China war. And it just seems there is a number of different agendas and goals from a number of political points of view and foreign lobbies that are not having the best interest of who? Me and you, everybody in this chat, and the rest of America, and including the world. Yeah, completely. So do you think that the reports we were hearing about Russia planning to invade were actually accurate, or do you think those were propaganda and then they were actually surprised to see Russia actually go into Ukraine, or do you think that the goal was to turn this into a Syrian like mess the entire time? Oh, I would I would submit to you that maybe it will become public 30 or 40 years from now when they are classified, but I wouldn't be shocked at all to see that maybe the NSA especially and maybe the CIA had pre-intelligence that uh, were going to definitely know that you that Russia was going to entertain uh, the conflict with the Ukraine into the disputed territories of Lushanka Donetsk. Um, there is some reports suggesting that they knew for sure that they were going to invade because that was the reason why the CIA had begun training these neo-Nazi ultra-nationalist groups prior to the invasion. And why else would they invite these groups inside the United States? Now, we don't know what part of the Southwest that's coming from five intelligence officials who spoke on anonymity to the Daily Beast in that report. Now, the other report that um, I brought up was basically about the files that were released regarding um, Operation Aerodynamic. That report is called Hitler's Shadows, Nazi War Criminals, U.S. Intelligence, and the Cold War, where in the files themselves that they were trying to instigate Russia into advancing into the Ukraine and having Ukraine become a battlefield for NATO for the United States and for the rest of the world to engage in this proxy war that will basically draw the Russia, just like they, they did in Afghanistan, spend billions of dollars in this war, basically on top of the sanctions that Biden has already given Russia, which basically don't hit the oligarchs, as he says, by the way, this is really disingenuous on his part. Who do economic sanctions hurt? The people, men, women, children, the middle class, the working class. They don't hit millionaires. They don't hit billionaires. Why? Because as inflation rises in Russia, these millions of billionaires, they could get food. They could get water, even though it's overpriced. Who can't? The regular people. And Biden knows this. Do you think he's going to tell the House floor about this? Of course not, because that would consider a war crime, which is what economic sanctions are. I would submit to you that with the training of these ultra-nationalists in the United States and in the Ukraine suggests that the United States very well knew that they were trying to draw Russia into the conflict in which they did. And that's the reason why uh, Ukraine's not part of NATO. Uh, and so the NATO partners are pressuring uh, the current administration to uh, sign uh, the pact itself. And basically, I think, if I'm right, and I may be wrong about this, they signed the first uh, charter to joining NATO, but they haven't signed it fully yet. Um, and that's the reason why they Russia is basically worried because um, NATO has expanded since 1991 further and further west into uh, Europa. And since 2004, uh, basically a number of countries had joined NATO uh, that basically are continuing to expand. And it's basically Prussia uh, almost... I think it's 14 countries since 2004 that have joined. And Russia sees what's going on. They're basically surrounded now. 
and they basically don't want to be cut off, uh, especially when you have the water rhetoric coming from the left, basically trying to entice Russia into a conflict, uh, which will go on for years and years. It's not an all-out war, uh, but a proxy war itself. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really <clears throat> a smart point of view because no one would win. Everyone would get destroyed. And um, so, they, I mean, there's no way they can do that. So it's what are the side angles here? What are the proxy wars? What are the sanctions they can get through? What are the political motivations they can make toward other countries? Um, so this is basically our fault, right? Like, that's, that's kind of how I look at this. Uh, not Not you and me, but the United States government. This was... I mean, you were just talking about how NATO has expanded since the early 90s. It was supposed to stay, you know, in West Germany, but it's continued to push east more and more and more. Putin has given explicit warnings in the past that yet means yet. Like, I do not want this going any further mm. than it already is. Uh, so when people try to characterize this as though it's just a Russian war of aggression for no reason, I think they're not looking at it in a realistic way. They, I mean, it's not that they just want Ukraine to have, you know, political sympathies with Russia. Ukraine has been getting American weapons from the United States that go to Ukraine. They've been getting armor. They've been getting rifles. They've been getting all sorts of equipment. And that would be like China sending weapons and equipment to Mexico. Hmm. You know, it's not just that they it's not just a difference of political alignment or a different way of thinking. It's an enemy or an, an adversary, at least sending weapons to a country right next to you, removing the government, replacing it with something else. Um, let me ask, how do you think the United States would react to this if something similar were happening in Mexico or Canada? What do you think we would do? Well, there would be first there would be sanctions. That's how you cripple a country from within. And then when they're weakened enough, that's when you send in the military. That happened in Afghanistan. That happened in Iraq of 1990, Iraq of 2003. And what this does basically is you cause dissension amongst the residents of the host country in which the sanctions are visited upon and in hopes with the CIA basically conduct either a rebellion or a coup that basically deposes the government. But if they're the government is strong from within, like Assad, for example, in Syria. He basically can withstand this. And then you start engaging in black operations that are funded either by the drug trade, basically, which is all black operations are funded by, or illegal arms trade, um, and other countries that are sympathizing to the conflict. Um, the United States would basically uh, invade or basically conduct a war with a country that was doing this. This is the hypocritical part of the United States. And basically... I think you saw the video. There's now a new video where Condoleezza Rice, the former Secretary of State under yeah. the Bush administration, basically went on Fox News and said that, yes, what's happening in Ukraine is uh, basically a war crime. I'm like, my God, the irony is, is not lost on Rice, because if that was the case, Rice, would, if there was any true justice, uh, Condoleezza Rice would be faced at the, uh, the, the Rome statute laws at The Hague and be trying for crimes of aggression, crimes against humanity, war crimes. Uh, not just her, but Bush and Cheney and Rumsfeld and Richard Pearl, and Douglas Fight and the neocons. But it just seems that, you know, every 10 years we have this repetitive conflict. And then you get this revisitation from the retired uh, Pentagon officials and four star generals and the neocons that go on, even Fox News and hypocrite themselves and say, well, you know, we would have never have done this. And they're basically saying this with a straight face. And, they're, you know, because they don't respect American intellect. Because they think that you don't have any. And can you blame them? Um, no. <laughs> not truly, right? I mean, if I, you got to put yourself in their shoes. You know, these are people who basically don't have your interests. And while they, they know this, they're basically going to lie to you straight in your face. And you know what? You're going to eat it because you're too dumb to realize. And I'm sorry to say this, but you're too ignorant or too dumb to realize that you can act as a one, as a formidable unit. And say, hey, later, and wait a minute, I'm going to pull the IV out of my arm, the proverbial IV, and, and not, you know, be divided among, you know, these political or racial lines, these isms, and start focusing my attention on the real problem, which is the American government. Because yeah, that's the reason why they, they divide us among these lines. Yeah, there's a good question here. Um, 
what is the importance or rather an importance of Belarus and all this? So I saw a report, I forget when, a couple days ago now, maybe that Belarus is joining Russia against Ukraine. But can you give us a little bit of the history of what's gone on in Belarus the last couple of years under the Trump and the Biden administration? Well, according to uh, the Belarusian president, Alexander Lushenko, he was quoted as saying that uh, he would not have any plans to join Russia's military operation into Ukraine. Okay, um, I might have been mistaken. I saw yeah, that uh, report. Yeah. He, that's coming from Reuters about, I want to say, a day or two ago, basically. Um, again, I mean, it was just, there's a report. Was just, this is very shocking. It's not to dissuade from the question, but the uh, Chechen Muslims basically are offering their support for Russia, which is rather shocking because of the uh, conflicting history that they've had and the, the horrific war crimes that came out of uh, uh, Chechnya regarding uh, mass beheadings of Russian conscripts, young men, uh, Russian soldiers destroying uh, and raping uh, Muslim women. And we saw the conflict happening in, in uh, um, with Ibn Khattab, the leader of the Chechen Muslims, in the ongoing conflict in Croatia, in, in uh, Chechnya, in the early 90s, uh, Al-Qaeda elements that were there, United States CIA basically were funding that covertly, Saudi, uh, Saudi influence. Belarus basically is learning from that. And I don't think that they want to enter uh, this conflict it's, instead of just saying, you know what, we're going to stay um, neutral for the time being. Whether they're going to entertain the conflict or not, well, I mean, we're, this is the fifth day in. Uh, we're still new. So I, I don't know whether they will enter the conflict or they'll continue to remain neutral because they do share some commonality with, with uh, Russia and uh, I know that um, uh, Lushenko has a relatively good relationship with Putin, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not too sure how long that's going to last regarding the neutrality. Okay. Yeah. Uh, here's a, this is from Time Magazine from 13 hours ago. Um, hold on. Sorry, I'm trying to. It says my internet's really slow. Sorry. Huh. Uh, let's see here. Come on. Uh, Ukrainian official says Belarus has joined the war. That was 13 hours ago. Okay. Uh, the Washington Post, Belarus preparing to join Russian invasion of Ukraine, U.S. official says. So I don't know how accurate that is. That was just what I saw. But um, if you don't know anything about that, that's fine. Well, we just, just as you say that, I, I now just typed in, uh, and this is a report by Politico 10 hours ago, where the United it's it's headlined U.S. sees no indication to back Ukrainian claim Belarus has joined Russian invasion. Oh, now there you look, go. this, this is the, I would like to bring something up if I may. We are really at a war for information. This is this yes. is something that's not going to be brought up, and uh, uh, obviously so. The war for inf information is another war that is going on right now. What is true? What is not? And there's going to be so much disinformation regarding this conflict, so much propaganda that this is the, this is for us, not for them. It basically will be for the soldiers on the battlefield. They won't know what's going on. They won't be informed. But at the same time, it's us, the people. That's the war for our minds, to support it or to not believe it. Now, you know, I would hate to say that you need to do your due diligence, but you need to regarding this, but it's going to be very hard, harder than probably any event in past history. And like I said before, not to sound like a broken record, um, I'd never seen the amount of propaganda. By, I'd never seen anything like it. Never. Yeah. So how do you, how do you find the correct information? Like you just find what, what sources do you trust and where can other people look other than you to know what's actually going on? You know, somebody, somebody, asked me a similar question to this on Twitter and said, you know, I, I, I respect your bipartisan mindset. And uh, he said, how do you conduct research? What would you tell me? And I said to him, okay, if you don't have the necessary time, like I do, I spend a, lo a lot of time uh, trying to uh, access files and documents that are unclassified. 
uh, I told him, if you're looking for information about the United States, for example, don't look inward, look outward. If you're looking for information regarding anything outward the United States, don't look inside the United States. Look for independent units inside the United States, but continue to look outward because the United States is completely a propaganda country. And yes, you, we do have still some reputable people that are operating inside the United States, but they're being suppressed. And this is the reason why the suppression goes with YouTube, with Google, with Twitter, on Facebook, and they act as one unit. And this is the reason why it's dangerous to have just a few corporations run the entire viral media because they could control the narrative and they could control what is true and what is not almost like George Elwell's 1984. But that's not the case throughout the rest of the world. Yeah, it's getting harder. But there are still some good journalists on the outside who can have a critique of what is happening inside the United States. Sad to say that that's true. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I found a new clip uh, that came out a couple days ago. I know you saw this too. A lot of people... Uh, this is a different subject, but it's something that you're uh, very involved with. It's uh, a new image of Flight 175 hitting mm -hmm. the South Tower. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to put it up on the screen here. Just give me a second here. Oop, sorry, wrong button. I'm going to put it up on the screen here. Uh, let's see. Screen. Share screen. All right, here we go. Um, I don't know how many people have seen this, but it's pretty long. It's about five minutes long, but I'm just going to show the uh, part where the plane actually comes into view and hits the building. So yeah, that was um, just posted to YouTube yesterday or the day before yesterday. Now, uh, the guy had that for you know twenty years, and then he decided to finally release it. But this is causing a big stir. A bunch of people are saying it's fake. Uh, but what do you think? Well, it's uh, actual video. Look, I I understand. I saw the uh, the hesitancy to believe that. Oh, there's a new video out now. Why now? Uh, why uh, this uh, current period with the Ukraine-Russian crisis? Well, there's no link, really. I mean, uh, you can't make that leap saying that because the release of this video is somehow linked to the Russian-Ukrainian conflict. Um, but no, the video is legit. I mean, any video that is going to come out now after 9-11, after 20 years, is going to be met with skepticism, unfortunately. And this is the reason why I brought up the, the, uh, the point regarding the Pentagon. If the Pentagon, if there's video that came out, let's say tomorrow, that shows a plane hit the Pentagon, how many people would believe it? How many people on the no plane argument would believe it? Hardly anyone. And they would, would say to themselves is, oh, you see, why did they sit on it for so long? It's obviously manipulated. It's obviously CGI generated. And if they don't know anything about video graphics and how hard it is to make videos like that with CGI and all that, look, there's nothing new about that video other than it's a different view. We have dozens and dozens of videos uh, from the media and from amateur videographers that showed Flight 175 crash into the South Tower. Now, if, there was, if that was the Pentagon, oh, man, you know, now we're talking. Now we can have like that argument. But basically, the argument was, well, this guy basically, he's been on Twitter for years. He basically works for Boeing. Um, he's an ex-U.S. -mil military. And all of a sudden, he starts six years later, he posts a video, and that's the video he posts. When you look at it wholly, it's like, wow, all right, are we looking at the conspiracy of a plane? Are we looking at the conspiracy of the person who released the video? Well, if you're going to be a due diligent researcher, independent uh, investigator, you're not going to question the validity of the video. You're going to question uh, the validity of the person who's posting the video. Now, I don't know who Kevin Wesley is. I know that's the person who released that video. Um, he's ex-military. He works for Boeing. Um, somehow, if you're a no planer, that makes sense because, oh, you know, that may be uh, a fake plane. That may be a CGI plane. But 
That was Flight 175. It crashed into World Trade Center. There really is no real conspiracy behind it, other than probably that he was there and knowing that 175 was going to crash there. Now, of course, the other argument is, oh, he didn't react like the others reacted. He wasn't screaming his head off and crying. Well, I, for example, I'm not very emotional at all. I go to funerals and I don't cry. In fact, I barely make a sound um, and I don't wail or anything like that. Um, and I'm considered an anomaly. Well, he probably doesn't care. Well, that's not the case with most people. You know, there's other people who show their emotions uh, differently. I don't know anything about this guy. And, um, you know, I really don't think there's any real conspiracy behind the release of the video other than, you know, it was released far too late. And whether he released it now or tomorrow, what does it matter? What if he released it a week ago? Would it cause a stir? Probably not. Yeah. So I want to close with this. You have talked a lot about in the recent months, and I've been talking about it too, the fact that people hate the left so much or they hate the COVID restrictions so much that all the opposition is going to have to do is throw them the red meat of being against the crazy woke bullshit and being against uh, lockdowns. And they're going to be able to basically get away with murder, uh, literally get away with murder. Um, And we've seen this happen in the past, the other direction, you know, people were so sick of Bush. They just wanted anyone other than Bush. And then you had this young charismatic guy who is against the most important issue, the war in Iraq, right? That was the big issue that everyone was against, just like now it's COVID. And so he was good on that one issue. And then he was just horrible and everyone wrote him a pass. So I'm very worried that that could happen in the next couple of years. But why don't you put it into your own words? I've seen you talk about it a lot on Twitter. What's what's your big concern there? Well, my concern is that What's what's currently happening now before our very eyes is that the Biden administration did everything necessary to basically throw away a second chance at uh, getting an, a successive administration for 2024. I'll be completely and utterly shocked if the Republicans don't basically just run on the anti-mandate crowd. And right now, as we're seeing, and I live in New York, uh, we're seeing the lessening of mandates. In fact, is now not mandated to get a third shot. Uh, and we're going to basically get rid of the masks very much soon. So basically, the Democrats are trying everything in their power to basically try and salvage that the House and Senate. All the Republicans need to do at this point is basically say, hey, listen, we're going to get rid of all the mandates. We're going to get, risk, get rid of the COVID mandates, the passports, everything. If they do this, I, I'm absolutely convinced, 100%, they not only win the House and Senate, but they win unanimously across the board overwhelming. Once this happens, basically what will probably come next, and this is, of course, speculation, is that next couple of years, we'll start seeing a a serve away from the Ukrainian crisis and toward uh, another crisis in China. And with that comes Iran, because the conservatives, the the hard right conservatives, Boebert, uh, DeSantis, uh, McConnell, uh, cotton. All these are basically very hawkish on principles regarding Israel and China. We'll start invigorating an idea of trying to instigate maybe China, Iran. For I asked this question with Scott Horton. He's actually, um, I don't know who he was interviewed by. He did an interview. Where I, I think it was, was he interviewed by you or he was interviewed by somebody. Where I asked that question to him. And I said, what's, what's the more realistic prospect uh, regarding the future? Is it, is it Iran, China, or, or Russia? And he said, I, I said, I, I, for me, it's Iran. He goes, no, he, he doesn't think so because the Pentagon generals are against it. And, mm-hmm. th- and that's coming. And he's right about that because I interviewed Lawrence Wright, the former sec- advisor to Colin Powell. And he basically says the same thing, that, yeah, they'll never entertain a war with Iran because they know that Iran would take years and years, you know, a ground invasion. But how far uh, is Israel willing to go? And they've been trying for the past 15 years. Also, at the same time, we're going to start seeing a complete alienation of the centrists, of the leftists. And my, my, also my worry is this, is that the libertarian movement, the anti-war movement, doesn't get fooled and side with the right because they're against the mandates, because they're not anti-war, these people. 
You know, they they want war. They just don't want a war with Russia. Yeah. They want a war with either China or Iran. And I, I just hope that doesn't happen. Yeah, no, I share your concern there. Um, I mean, you can't, you know, it, there are sides that are easier to pick people from, you know, like under the Bush years, the left was a lot easier to evangelize to if you were anti-war. And, you know, right right now, the right is easier to evangelize to if you're anti-war, but you're right, like actually siding with either one of them will lead you down a path of war because that's what mm -hmm. they both want. Um, I want everyone to follow you, man. Uh, I haven't had you on in a while. I've had you, I think this is the third time I've had you on here, but uh, we'll have you on again. And I really want people to listen to you. You know, I drive a truck and I'm busy as hell all the time uh, doing all sorts of shit. Like case in point, I didn't even uh, read the update on Belarus. I wasn't even aware of that yet, but everyone who's watching this guy, he'll do live streams for two hours without notes and just, you know, discuss <laughs> really in-depth foreign policy ideas, really in-depth 9-11 stuff. He has so much knowledge. Uh, he's one of the best, most informed people I've come across. So I really want people to check you out. They can in the links in the description. But for everyone who's listening to the audio format, where can keep uh, where can people keep up with you and your work, Adam? You can you you sure know how to make me blush. Uh, no, I'm not I'm not an expert in anything. I'm I'm just a lot more read because I have a lot of time on my hands. But yeah, I mean the dark and now. I mean, you could just Google my name, Adam Fitzgerald, nine eleven. I come right up. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, co-host of the Dark and Now with Richard Cox, um, and um, people can follow me on Twitter underscore Adam Fitzgerald, on YouTube I'm Adam Fitzgerald, uh, and my podcast is the Dark and Now with Richard Cox, and I also have a WordPress blog. This is where all my documents and files are going to be uh, for those who want to access uh, primary data. Uh, documents, files, unclassified reports, old stories relating to 9-11 and geopolitics. It's a WordPress, a 9, uh, Adam Fitzgerald 9-11. And that link is actually on my Twitter handle um, in the pinned uh, uh, thread. So you can access that. All right. Well, thanks for coming on again, Adam. Um, I will not be doing a podcast for a little while. I will be in Washington, D.C. I'm going there tomorrow. I'll be there with Ryan Dawson and Eric Jackman. Um, we're going to be doing a few different things there and then I'll be back and I'll be going on a couple other shows. I think, uh, maybe next Wednesday I'll be having somebody on, not sure yet, but please subscribe to the channel. Follow me on Odyssey, follow me on Spotify and Apple podcasts. Like I said, those are all in the links and follow Adam Fitzgerald. You guys will not regret it. Thanks for coming on again, Adam. Well, my pleasure. Thank you for having me.